0: to the Emmaus Fellowship teaching podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's word with us. He gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing Give me a Good. Well, I am, um, I'm excited to... Actually, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm excited to be wrapping up a series that started the 1st of February in 2022, and we went through the entire year. And I'm on track to finish it up by the end of January of 2023. So one calendar year in the book of James. And I thought, the book of James, it's great. It'll be fun. He's Jesus's brother. He's writing a letter to people that love Jesus, who are Jews, who got persecuted and then got scattered all throughout the globe. It's like, this will be fun. And it has been. And it's been a challenge for me at times, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. If you remember, uh, there were some who did not want the book of James added to the canon. In fact, um, Luther thought that, well, he actually referred to this as the straw gospel. I guess that's an insult. I don't know doesn't hold up. It isn't full of substance. I don't know. But I think one of the challenges with this book is that sometimes it's like, um, if, if we're not careful, we can view it as a, a contradiction to like Paul's writings, for example. Paul's letters were very clear on the idea of grace and salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ. It's not by works, lest any one of us should boast about some self-righteous capacity to get it right, you know what I mean? So there's this contrast because James actually is, um, is a, he's calling us into works, he's calling us into action, and we've discovered over this last year that that's a response to the grace of God being poured into our life, that our faith without works is dead, that we have actually not only um, the capacity to have big ideas, but those big ideas... Are incomplete without big action right to support it it's so so there it is, James has been great i 've enjoyed it uh, the The Lord has pulled things out of me that i didn 't think were in me, uh, as we 've studied the book of james and uh, and so as we inch our way into James five verse one, I find myself hesitant, like, oh seriously, like i don 't actually want to preach on this i 'm just being honest with you. Like at first, I was like, I don't like this. The way that James's tone is is some of you are already reading it, aren't you? Right now, you're already looking at it. You're like, wait, what's Chris talking about? I'm gonna go ahead and read it for you. I'm gonna read it out of the Passion Translation. Um, and and you'll kind of get my gist. But I think like many of the passages that James wrote in this letter. We have to pause and we have to do what we should do every time we read the Bible. We should not approach it as a text. We should approach it as Jesus, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Therefore, when we come to the Scripture, we should have an attitude of the heart of asking the question, Jesus, what are you saying in this? Jesus, where are you in this? We can do that with the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Jesus did that when he walked on the road to Emmaus with two dejected disciples who were heartbroken. And using the scripture of the Old Testament, starting with the prophets and going through all of that, he revealed himself to these disciples and they said, did not our hearts burn as he revealed himself to us? not only revealed himself through the breaking of the bread and their eyes were open and they had a revelation of the man, Christ Jesus, but as they walked the road, he, man, I'm getting fired up. Like the word of God is awesome when we allow it to bring us to Jesus. It can also be a sledgehammer or a sword. I'll stop there. It's intended to be the words of life. Jesus was really serious about this when he confronted the religious leaders of his day and he says, you search the scriptures night and day in hopes that in them you'll find life. I'm standing right in front of you and you're not coming to me. Reminds me of a quote. You know the man who was possessed by a legion, like a thousand demons, recognized Jesus and men who were possessed with thousands of scripture didn't see him. What? What? Let's go into this. I'm, I'm really not trying to like deflect. But I think there's something in here for us. Listen, all you who are rich, for it's time to weep and wail over the misery that will overtake you. Your riches lie rotting, your fine clothing eaten by moths, and your gold and silver are corroded as a witness against you. You have hoarded up treasures for the last days, but it will become a fire to burn your flesh. James, listen. Don't you hear the cries of the laborers over the wages you fraudulently held back from those who worked for you? The cries for justice for those you've cheated have reached the ears of the Lord of armies You have indulged yourselves in every luxury and pleasure the world offers. But you're only stuffing your heart full for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered good and innocent people who had no power to defend themselves. That's James 5, 1 through 6. Heavy. There's a couple big ideas I'd like to bring to you today out of this. The first one has to do with the intended audience of this warning. I personally do not believe this is aimed at everyone who has wealth. It does have to do with those who exploit others for the sake of their personal gain. We'll see that. We'll see in this passage that James is particularly focused on the category of the rich who have lost sight of what we can call kingdom economy. And having lost sight of God's economy, they've resorted to an economy that takes advantage of others for the sake of self-indulgence and self-preservation. That's kind of like I just put it right out there. That's where I I believe this is going. That being what it is, I believe verses 1 through 3 are a direct warning intended to actually shake us all into some self-reflection. Okay? The truth is... Some of us don't know what the economy of the kingdom is. We've never been taught, or we've never witnessed it in others. We've never seen the attitude around wealth that reflects the values and the attitudes of the kingdom of Christ. Maybe that's the case. I believe, and I can attest to this because I know you. I mean, some of us have walked together in this place for 25 years. So I can attest that many of you do know what the kingdom economy is. And yet we're all susceptible to an allure that riches, especially the riches of this world, that it can seduce us, right? I mean, it can seduce us away from a place of trusting and finding our security in God alone. So there is that. So I would like to just remind us that James, while he was not a disciple of Jesus during Jesus's public ministry. He became a believer in Christ after the resurrection, and he became a pillar of the church for that first-generation church. In fact, it's, it's thought that the book of James was the first written letter, even though it's not in sequence of the New Testament, and it was probably 40 years after the ascension of Christ. So James was a Um, was the brother of Jesus, and so James was around, James knew Jesus's teachings, and so much of what I've drawn from James has been an echo or reflection of the teachings of Jesus, and so I'd love to just kind of support what James is saying here with the teachings of Jesus, and so listen to Jesus tell us in Luke 12, 33 through 34, this is the Sermon on the Mount, right after the part of the sermon that we like, which is don't worry, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to us. Um, so we like that part because it brings a settling to our hearts that we can trust God, that he knows what we need. He knows how to provide for his children. He takes care of us. Our purpose in life is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and, and put our trust in him and his capacity to take care of us. But we usually stop there But Jesus goes right on, and he says this in verse 33. Now, go and sell what you have and give to those in need, and you will make deposits in your account in heaven, an account that will never be taken from you. Your gifts will become a secure and unfailing treasure deposited in heaven forever, verse 34, where you deposit your treasure that is where you fix your thoughts and your heart will long to be there also. And this is maybe a different translation you remember, where your treasure is, your heart is also, right? And so in all that we're talking about today here, it's more about the heart than it is about money. Okay, so if we can go there, that'd be great. And so the warning of James is to call us into... And away from, what do we call that? Repentance, really. So we turn from what has been norm for us, and we turn towards the invitation of the upgrade. Okay, What is available for us in Christ. And so that's the whole point of this. The whole, the whole warning here of James is a call to repentance. And so verse 1, listen, all of you who are rich, for it's time to weep and to wail over the misery that will overtake you. The phrasing of this in the original language points to a type of misery that is actually caused by demonic torment. I don't know if you know that. But, um, and so this, again, is about the spiritual condition of the soul. It's about the heart. It's about our experience beyond just the physical, beyond the material it's about um, a misery that can happen. Um, and so we definitely want to kind of be paying attention to this because the call here is to voluntarily lament and even travail before the misery overtakes you. I mean, that's what he says here. He says, it's time to weep and to wail over the misery that will overtake you. So it's like, okay, this is kind of preemptive, this is a call to preemptive repentance. I don't know if James is actually writing this letter to exploiters that he knows, or, um, known murderers or known extortionists. I don't know if they're actually known. Like, I just think that for I think what he's doing here is he's definitely writing this letter to known Jewish followers of Jesus who have been scattered abroad due to the persecution of Christians. And no doubt in this community there are first generation Kingdom of God Christians. Who are in the process of being transformed. So, repenting, changing, transforming from the way that you've always known and coming into a new way. That's what I know for sure. Just like all of us, right? We all have like our norms and we're being called into like a transformative work of Jesus to enter into the ways of Christ and the ways that He is like calling us up into that are different than our norms. So there are cultural norms that are so deeply ingrained that they can seem just like second nature to us. We don't even think about them. And they can go directly against the ways of Jesus. Okay? So I learned an example of this in our own nation's history. A former African-American slave, William as Ellison, He actually received his freedom, and he actually received social capital uh, by his slave owner. And when he was freed, he actually became very wealthy. He became a landowner. He was, he was apprenticed by his former slave owner. He actually was a pretty smart guy, I imagine. And um, in the 1890 census, so this is pre-Civil War, Ellison owned... 68 black slaves and more than 900 acres of land. Now, he was one of hundreds of African-American freemen who, who owned slaves. But you think about the cultural norm was, if you're wealthy, you're a slave owner. So again, that's just an example. I don't know why that fascinated me so much. But I think what it is, it's like you, 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 you grow up in a culture, you grow up in a way... It just is normal. You don't even think it's anything wrong with it. And you just perpetuate it. And so this call that James has given to the rich, you got to know that there's a dose of that in here, right? That being what it is, James is addressing first-generation Christians who were equally influenced by their cultural norms. In verse 2 here, your riches lie rotting, and your fine clothing are eaten by moths, and the gold and the silver are corroded as a witness against you. You have hoarded up treasures for the last day, and it will become a fire to your flesh. Wow. Treasures stored up here on earth in hopes of avoiding hardship. I mean, that all points to self-preservation, right? So James is pointing out that this plan is going to backfire. Listen again to the teachings of Jesus in Luke. Um, I'm bumping up to chapter 9, Luke nine twenty four through 25. For if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives, and I put in like parentheses in my words, and your money, for my glory, you will discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives and your money for yourselves, you will lose what you try to keep. Even if you gain all the wealth and power of this world and all the things it could offer you, yet lose your soul in the process, what good is that? So again, as I was praying into this teaching and asking Jesus, okay, what's, what's being said here? What's not being said here? We can make some assumptions here. I'm pretty convinced that James is not saying that the wealthy are destined for hell. Okay, I can, I can say that with some confidence. He definitely is saying that the treasures that you hoard up will become a witness against you in a fire. I mean, he actually says that. And so I believe forfeiting your soul is hell on earth. Can I say that again? Forfeiting your soul is hell on earth. Compromising your integrity, compromising who you really are, As a son or a daughter of God. I mean, compromising your design, your intended character. Allowing the true nature of your soul to be forfeited in pursuit of financial gain at the expense of others. Well, that just opens the door to misery. Body, soul, and spirit. There it is. So, in fact, James uses a phrase in chapter 5 that points kind of to this pathway of spiritual bankruptcy. He says this, if you have indulged yourselves in every luxury, we're going to hold that word luxury up here in a second. You've indulged yourself in every luxury and pleasure this world offers, but you're only stuffing your heart full for the day of slaughter. The word luxury here is a trophy. And it speaks... The the word actually could be translated softness, luxurious softness, or um, you know, and um, and so since we're actually talking about the condition of the heart here, this word could be related to atrophy. So you know, when your muscles aren't used, they atrophy; they become soft and weak. And the, the same can be true of our soul, that in the same way we forfeit our souls by indulging in trophy or luxuries, right? Over time, this will cause our internal fortitude to deteriorate. All right. I feel like you're tracking with me. So since this is a warning to preemptive, you know, like call to change and repentance, What can we do to safeguard against this type of relationship with wealth? This is like really good and important for us because one of the cultural norms that we have inherited is the fact that we are probably rich beyond our knowing. And we just need to pause and put some things in perspective and realize that even though you may be broke, Really, not poor. So, since this warning, I just want to ask that question what can we do to safeguard against this type of relationship with wealth that deteriorates our soul and that opens up a door to misery? How can we strengthen our attitudes around money so that we can actually live according to the kingdom economy that God has prescribed for us in the scripture? There's a whole There's got to be a whole series in this, you know, just on kingdom finances. I mean, we've got some folks here in this fellowship. That's been their ministry. I'm thinking of, you know, the fact that there are other ministries that are designed to help people discover kingdom economy. You got to know that financial peace is more than just having more than enough. It's about the heart. And it's about being at peace. And it's about living in an economy of the kingdom that everyone wins. And it's not the exploitation of others for the sake of your own self gratification and your own self preservation. We know the contrast. Some of you have lived through that, some of you have been exploited. Okay, I'm going to riff for a minute, jumping off the page. Everybody likes a tightrope walker without the net underneath, right? This is me right now, (laughs) stepping out. Because I can't even remember the, the actual address of this parable when Jesus talks about the person who owed his master so much and was forgiven and then turned around and choked out a guy who owned him just a few bucks the master found out about that and just brought the hammer down so you think about this it's like it's like okay let's say you have been exploited don't let that inform you thinking that that's the way that it has to be moving forward you are not an exploiter even though you have been exploited In the same way that you have been forgiven, like forgive others, it's like, I don't know how that connects with me. I'm just thinking about it like, don't let the past wounds of having to scrap and having to, you know, just feel like a victim when it comes to finances fuel some part of your soul that feels like it's justified in taking advantage of others. That's all i got to say. I don't know who that's for, if anyone. Maybe it's for me. But I just think that it's important for us to remember that we're being called into a new thing. And part of the new thing is kingdom economy. And so let me just streamline it a bit for us here. For the sake of my talk here, we'll call it Kingdom Economy 101. First thing to really know and remember is that all of your money belongs to God And he entrusts us with it as stewards. Therefore, we hold the money that's in our possession with open hands. And in the same way that we profess that we would obey and serve Christ with our lives, we choose to serve and obey Christ with our money. So, if the Spirit of Christ tells you to give what you possess to others, you trust Him and you give. But I do not believe that this is an automatic response. Giving is not like automatic in the sense, especially if you wrestle with guilt for having wealth. (laughs) Because doesn't it say that we're encouraged not to give out of impulse? but rather out of a confident obedience. So in the same way that we obey when we give, we can also obey by investing and building. See what I'm saying? So it's, it's a bigger story than just give everything you have out of impulse because you feel guilty. It's really about relationship with the master, Christ, who owns it all and you're being obedient to him in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So this becomes a very subjective, sort of dynamic relationship with God and money because it's about your heart. And it's about the attitudes of holding your hands open and being willing to give every penny if he asked you to. And be willing to use the resources that God has given you to build other things because you remember what God tells us in all these different parables Um, That if you're faithful with little, he's going to bring increase. In fact, if you have a lot, don't be surprised if more starts coming towards you. Because there's that principle of the kingdom of God that, you know, those who have will receive more. It's just like, wow, how does this work, God? Well, it works by knowing that our attitude is that of um, pure and simple devotion to Christ and just like, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that if we're going to be his disciples, that we have to be willing to lay down our lives for his sake, and so giving is part of that. Definitely. So as stewards, like I said, God will increase to those who are faithful. He will bring increase to those who are faithful with little. And I think that one way that we can exercise the giving muscle of our soul so it doesn't atrophy is by tithing, by giving at least 10%. I mean, that's kind of like the fixed number, right? And if he wants you to give more than that, give more than that. I know people that give a lot more than 10%. And some people ask the big question, do I give on the, the gross or the net? Well, do you want the treasure stored up in heaven to be on the gross or the net? <laughs> I think giving on a regular basis, that 10%, it's, it's, I think in this way we're addressing the allure of the world's economy. I mean, it's so easy to justify by fear and a mentality of lack that we should hold on, that we should hoard in some way as a form of self-preservation but Jesus makes it really clear giving is the opposite of hoarding we hoard because we're afraid of suffering and we give because we trust God with our future so again Jesus in Luke 12:33 as you give you will make you'll be making deposits in your account in heaven and an account that will never be taken from you. Your gifts will become a secure and unfailing treasure deposited in heaven forever. I have a thought about this. Again, this is just me. I didn't really write it down. That, depo- that, that account, that, that secure, unfailing treasure deposited in heaven forever, I'm of the suspicion, and I'm actually pretty confident in this, that that's available even before you die. Your kingdom come on heaven on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, there are things that are stored in heaven, but we don't have to wait until we die to access them. And so I just wanted to voice that because... Um, I think there's a way of partnering with Jesus in your finances that it can be such an adventure. Have you ever given something that felt so huge? And it was like it might have been the widow's mite, but it was huge. It was like all you could do to give this out of faith without anyone else knowing, and it was done in secret. You were. You were functioning in the kingdom economy, and it blessed someone, whether they knew it came from you or not. That wasn't the point. And then weeks, months, a decade later, some huge windfall comes into your life, some blessing beyond measure, like you didn't even see it coming, you didn't work for it. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit connect the dot for you and be like, I saw that. And what I see in secret, I reward. If you do it in public, you're going to get your reward. That's it. Done. But if you do it with an attitude of devotion and worship and obedience to me as a disciple of Jesus then you got to know that I'm going to remember all that. Anyway, I just wanted to point to that because that's exciting stuff. It's happened for me. And I don't want to reduce this to cliche. But I have heard it said, and I do believe it's true, that you cannot outgive God. That's for sure. It feels like cliche. But when you live in this kingdom economy and you allow yourself to be used as a vessel of God to give to others, to bless others, to be a resource for others as he is the source for them, my goodness, it just becomes a fun adventure. So how do we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven? The same way that we discover true life for our souls here on earth. We choose self-sacrifice, giving up our lives, and in my parentheses, and our money, for the glory of Jesus Christ. So that's all I wanted to share this morning from the book of James, chapter five, one through six. All right? And uh, in the next two weeks, we'll be wrapping up, James. There's two more big ideas that I want to share with you. And then we'll move on to different things uh, into February. But I wanted to thank you for listening and thank you for just the opportunity to share these things. Just remember that the kingdom economy works and it's way different than the world's economy, and if you have found yourself locked in sort of a cycle of feeling like the only way that you can get ahead is to take some advantage of another person for the sake of your own self-gain or self-preservation, then today's a good day to just stop doing that and start trusting the Father who loves you and can take care of you How many of you have been watching The Chosen? Me too. And um, I find it fascinating how Jesus loved to bring people into his discipleship who had all sorts of baggage. And then over the course of time, helped them release their old norms and come into the new ways of experiencing life and a fulfillment of their souls that, um, that was the remedy for their torment. So with that, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for all the ways that you're helping us grow and mature and become more Christ-like. Thank you for the encouragement that we, we live in a kingdom that is not defined by lack at all. It is, in fact, defined by the generosity of your heart. So we thank you for all the generous ways that you bless us, all the ways that you cause our souls to prosper, and all the ways that that can manifest itself through stewarding wealth, And so, Lord, as we all just take an inventory today and allow your Holy Spirit to search our hearts, we choose to just open our hands just a little bit more and trust you. We choose to relinquish this perception that we have that we're responsible for our own care entirely. Thank you for the partnership that you invite us into. Thank you that your spirit speaks to us and guides us and helps us and moves us. Thank you that we can cultivate that relationship with you, even in and especially in the area of our finances. And Lord, I just want to pray right now for anyone in this room who is in need of, of a financial, like, miracle. And Lord, I just want to ask you, speak to them and give them specific strategies on how they can posture themselves to receive. Thank you for today, God. Thank you for the ways that you're speaking to all of us by your Spirit. And uh, thank you that you are making this relevant to each one of us. Thank you that we have the capacity to, um, to change and to be transformed by you and by your love. And I pray that we will yield to that and we will voluntarily enter into even a season of lament if we need to, a season of acknowledgement of our great need for you. And we thank you that your grace is poured out to the humble. And so we thank you for all the ways that you're speaking to us through this book of James. And we ask, Lord, that you would seal what you're doing here by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in your name, Christ. Amen. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at EmmausFellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.